Good morning and welcome to Washera Community Church. It is a beautiful day the Lord has made. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, internet folks, hi. How are you doing out there? Get your feet off the table. Have another cup of coffee. I hope I don't go viral, whatever that means. Sounds like a sickness or a disease, but uh, welcome. Hope you're doing well out there as well. Um, if you're looking for a church, uh, a home church or a church family, we invite you to uh, find out more about us, uh, the elders, the deacons. Uh, just ask anybody. I'm sure uh, we could all and would love to share and have you become part of our family. Um, families can be unique. I have an older brother and a younger brother. So I guess I'm the, the middle brother, or the middle diddle is what I've been called my whole life. So, But welcome to our church, and uh, please consider being part of our family if you'd like. A couple of announcements we'd like to highlight. October 23rd, which I believe is next Sunday, uh, there will be a proposed preliminary budget handout. And uh, we're giving you that two weeks ahead so you can look at it. And if you have questions, the following Sunday between services, the 30th, the treasurer and the deacon board will be available in the library between after both services. Uh, the treasurer, uh, treasurer, are you here? Oh, that's me. That's me. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So if you do have any questions, please uh, approach me or any of the deacons, um, if you would. Also, uh, on the 23rd, the elders will be available uh, between services for uh, any questions you may have regarding our proposed um, service and just uh, changes and timelines. So next Sunday is the elders' opportunity. The Sunday after is the deacons' or your opportunity to um, ask any questions that you have. A couple of announcements besides that would be our monthly mission meeting is going to be in the basement in room 112 between services. Uh, after this service, also Deacon Dan. Dan, are you here? We'll have, uh, he's usually in this corner. If anybody, Dan, where? No, yeah, he's over there. Okay. Uh, he, he, prayer uh, opportunity, if you have a special prayer, if you just like to um, get together with Dan and um, talk to the Lord. Uh, that opportunity, he'll be over here, uh, there to serve. And Christmas choir sign-up sheets are in the lobby. Um, if you have a voice or if you'd like to just share some joy of Christmas with uh, uh, caroling or choiring, both opportunities are there. So we have a caroling sign-up sheet in the lobby and a choir sign-up sheet in the lobby, which there might be some overlap in those two groups, but uh, please consider that. And with that, would the ushers please come forward? Thank you, Neville. Our mission statement as a church is uh, that we, we exist to give creative and meaningful worship to our Father, as well as to discover and develop disciples for our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, with that in mind, um, I'm going to go to prayer, and let's just jump into giving our worship to God, our Father, who truly deserves um, all that we have and do and are. So please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day that you've given us. Uh, it's just so comforting to know that uh, it's, we're not alone in the world, Lord. You are there with us each and every day, each and every moment. Uh, we just need to turn to you and put our faith and trust in you, Father. Just as the persecuted church everywhere, Lord, uh, they... They stand boldly, and they uh, lean on you, Father, and uh, we just ask that you watch over them and give them the encouragement and just uh, show your presence, not only to them, but to us today and throughout this week, Father. Uh, just uh, show your presence as you do with your beauty of your creation as we go through this beautiful time of year. Pray that you bless this offering, and uh, we pray this in your name. Amen. This morning we'll read. I want to thank Aaron this morning. I, I said to him when I was, I always send him the sermon slides and notes and he puts together things for me for this. I told Aaron, I said, I need every second you can give me this Sunday. Every second that you can give me. We've been going through 1 Peter and we finished last week, 1 Peter chapter 3. What we've been doing is in between the chapters, between each chapter, then we do a standalone sermon that is uh, a sermon that deals with church life, 
church life and, and good things for us to hear as a church body. And so that's what we're doing this morning. Next Sunday, we will jump right back into 1 Peter chapter 4. Some have asked me, how long does it take to get through 1 Peter? Well, my calculations, by the end of January 2023, we will be there, okay? So that's when we're going to get there. Um, but this one's titled, uh, Keep Going Forward. And uh, I, I did this sermon it, a while ago as I was going through the book of Haggai. And uh, Haggai is only two chapters long, and it's only 38 verses total. Um, and, and there was five sermons in there. And the sermon I want to give you this morning is sermon number three. It's kind of right in the middle of that study. So, so it is a, a little bit to help you get in context of where we are in the, in the sense of time. Anytime that you go to an Old Testament passage, you kind of have to give some historical context so you know where you are. And so if you have your sheets this morning, I left some space there so that you can write down some of these things. But I'm not going to go all the way back. I'm not going to go back in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'm not going back that far. But I am going back to the point where we have a man named David who's king. And King David is king over the United Kingdom of Israel. So it's really one nation under God kind of situation. David has a son named Solomon. Solomon is one who builds a temple. After Solomon, the kingdom becomes divided. There's a northern kingdom and there's a southern kingdom. In the northern kingdom, it's comprised of 10 tribes. In the southern kingdom, it's two tribes. In the northern kingdom, all the kings were evil. All the kings did what was opposite in God's eyes. And God told them through the prophets that if they continued in this vein, that they would be taken away. In 700-some B.C., the Assyrians came in and took them out. Okay, then the southern tribes of Benjamin and Judah, they were a little bit better. They had a few good kings in there, but he told them the same thing through their prophets. If you do not turn to me, you're going to be taken away. And lo and behold, in 586 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, king of the Babylonians, came in and took them away and took them away to Babylon for 70 years. The Babylonians then are taken over by the Medes and the Persians, and King Cyrus makes a decree at that time, and he says the Israelites can start to go back to Jerusalem. And so they go back to Jerusalem in three waves. The first wave is led by a man named Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel takes this group with him, and they are commissioned with what their main task is, is to rebuild the temple that was destroyed, the worship center of God. So they went back to construct a new worship center of God, a new temple back in Jerusalem. A second group is led by a man named Ezra. Ezra is a prophet, and when he takes his group back, it's more about the word of God a revival happening in that day for them to come again back to God's very word and follow it. Then the third group was led by a man named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, when he drew his people back to Israel, the main concern was to rebuild the wall, the protective wall around Jerusalem. Okay, where we drop into the story is the man named Haggai, who is, the, uh, is a prophet of God, and he is in this time frame between Zerubbabel and Ezra, and he is coming in to bring God's word to this group of people. Okay, so I think that gets us caught up there. When I did this, did I have that first? Let me go here first. When I did this series of sermons, sermon number one, Haggai basically asked the question, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Because what had happened is Zerubbabel brought this group back and they started working on the temple. But all, uh, all of a sudden, some opposition arose. And when that opposition arose, they stopped. And so Haggai comes in much later and he says to them, who are you listening to? Are you listening to what they say? Or are you listening to the Lord of hosts? Which one are you listening to? Sermon number two then went into what is our commanded assignment? 
Well, they knew he was reminding them again of what their commanded assignment was. Their commanded assignment was to rebuild the temple of God, rebuild this worship center that was needed for the worship of God. We took it upon ourselves to say, what's our commanded assignment? Our commanded assignment in this day is to make disciples. And those disciples that we make, we now are the temple of God. Okay? Sermon number three is where we land today is what keeps us going forward. What keeps us going forward? I'm going to introduce two groups to you, the weepers and the woo-hooers. Now, I know that's not a word, but I just make it one. The woo-hooers, the weepers and the woo-hooers. And what happens lots of times when you go through books of the Bible, you start to see a pattern. And I start to see a pattern here. What keeps us going forward, Sermon 3, with our commanded assignment, Sermon 2, that we got from the Lord of Hosts, Sermon 1? Or another way of looking at it is in sermon number one, that who are you listening to? We need to listen to the Lord of hosts. And we talk about ourselves being what? People of the what? The Bible, the word of God, the word of God. Sermon number two was all about our commanded assignment. And what is our commanded assignment? To make disciples. We are all about discipleship. And then sermon number three was all about these weepers and these woohooers. You're going to see that they are in community. We're a family. We're a body of Christ together there. So this morning, as we open up our scriptures, I'm going to read this um, in my scripture journal that I used at that time, um, Haggai chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. Um, I'm also going to go to my, my Bible this morning when I read other scriptures. But I saw somebody do something this morning that just reminded me of something is that uh, when you, if you have the privilege of being married, what do you do? You stand in an altar, don't you? Yeah. If you have to go in the court of law, what do you do? You have to stand and you have to raise your right hand, don't you? Yeah. Most important uh, events in your life, what do you have to do? You stand, you stand. So it's not out of ordinary for when a minister reads the word of God, to stand. It's, it's, it's deserving of that much. So if you are able, would you stand with me this morning as we read God's word? Haggai, Haggai chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. This is the word of the Lord. In the seventh month and the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Sathiel, governor of Judah and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw the house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake heavens and earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill his house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for again for your word. And we thank you for this word coming from your prophet Haggai. Um, we thank you this morning for the Holy Spirit and his guidance in our lives when we read your word. And we thank you, Lord, even in this passage this morning, that we see your son, the Messiah. In my precious name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. So we're just going back through here um, to verse 1. 
I love a lot of numbers here, but in verse 1, it said, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Um, just to continue to give context here, what has happened, Zerubbabel has brought the group back. They've started working on the temple. There was opposition to their working on the temple, and they stopped. And they've stopped for 16 years. 16 years of inactivity has happened after this opposition. And this is when prophet Haggai comes in and starts to give this message to them. For the first message, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Are you listening to what they say? Or are you listening to what the Lord of hosts says? What the Lord of hosts means is the self-existent, redemptive God of the armies of heaven. Who are you listening to? And so they stop for 16 years. Haggai comes in, starts to speak to them, say, challenging them. And he does this for 24 days. That's a long sermon. Okay, that's a long sermon. 24 days, he preaches this over and over and over again. Finally, on the 24th day, what do the leaders do? They pick up their tools. They pick up their tools again, and they head back to the, to the work site. You see, what's happened here is they, when they stopped, pretty soon they got used to it being that way. They probably walked by that work site so many times, just saw it, and pretty soon, you know, felt bad about it first, you know. But then after a while, it's just like, well, this is just the way it is. This is just the way it is kind of thing. And actually, what also they did was the provisions that God provided for his house, they started taking those provisions back to their houses. And they started building up their own houses. And so they, they put more focus on their own dwelling than on God's dwelling that was happening. So 24 days, finally the leaders pick up their tools and start working on it. Now, in this passage of Scripture, we are 27 days later. 27 days later after this has started. So we're about a month in. They're a month in of working on the foundation again of the temple of God. And Haggai comes in with another message to them. Now, Jewish, uh, Hebrew months, Jewish months are different than our months. So when we start the book of Haggai, there's the month of E-L-U-L is the, the title for that. And what's crazy is that we have the actual dates. August 19th, 520 BC. We have that because uh, they kept meticulous dates around the kings at that time. So August 19th. Now, when he's talking now, it's October 17th, 520 BC in the month of Tishri. Also, we know from that date that it was the next to the last day of the Feast of the Booze or the Feast of the Tabernacles. Every year, what they would do is they would take seven days and they would go out of their homes. They would build these little tiny structures, these tents, these temporary dwelling places, and they would live in them for seven days during that time. Why? Because they were remembering what God had done now about a thousand years before when their forefathers were going through the wilderness and they would remember how God provided for them for their forefathers while they were in the wilderness. So they remembered manna from heaven. So they remembered quail that he provided. They remembered water from the rock. They remembered his, his direction that he gave through the pillar of fire and cloud um, that was given to them. So th this plays into it because at this moment when Haggai speaks, they are remembering how God had provided for them, for their forefathers, a thousand years ago. And they were celebrating that right at that moment in time. Okay, all this plays into it. I did give you the Leviticus 23, and this just shows you in the scripture um, where, where he gives this command to do this. He says, you shall thus celebrate it as a feast to Yahweh for seven days in the year. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall live in booths for seven days. All the native born in Israel shall live in booths so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths and I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your God, your God. So that's what they're doing. They are celebrating that at this moment in time when Haggai comes with this message. Now, verse 2, back to our passage, he says, Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Sathiel, the governor of Judah, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all 
the remnant of the people and say, when he says speak now, those words mean utter aloud. Haggai, utter aloud, utter aloud, but utter aloud, pleading to obey. So when he's saying these things, he is earnestly saying these things. He's begging them. He's at this moment begging them with what he's going to say. In chapter 1, verse 1, at the very start of the book, when Haggai gives his first message, he just says it to the leaders. He's just addressing the leaders. When he gets to verse 12 of that chapter, all the people join in and follow the leader's obedience. As the leaders pick up their tools, what do the people do? They pick up their tools and they follow in. Now, chapter 2, verse 2, where we're at right now, he's speaking not only to the leaders, but all the remnant and the remnant and the remnant of the people. So this isn't just a message to the leaders. It's also message to the people. He goes on in verse 3, and he asks these three rhetorical questions. Number one, who is left among you who saw his, this house in his former glory? Question number two, how do you see it now? And question number three, is it not nothing in your eyes? Is it not nothing in your eyes? Three rhetorical questions. Who, how, and is it? Well, who, let's, anytime that you read the book of Haggai, you want to have your Bible open to Ezra, because Ezra, in the first six chapters, gives us historically what's going on. He gives you what's happening on the ground. Haggai is one who is speaking to what's happening on the ground, okay? So if we go to Ezra chapter 3 and verse, starting in verse 10, let's start there. It says, so the builders laid the foundation of the temple of Yahweh. Then the priests stood in their appeal and the, with trumpets. Doo -doo -doo -doo. And the sounds of Asaph with cymbals crash to praise Yahweh according to the directions of king of Israel. And they sang, praising and giving thanks to Yahweh, saying, for he is good. For his loving kindness endures forever upon Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised Yahweh because the foundation of the house of Yahweh was laid. Now this was, he's talking about when they first started working on it. Now the next verse, yet, yet, many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the father's household, the old men who had seen the first house of Yahweh, so there was another group. There was a group within that group who had remembered what Solomon's temple looked like that had been destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. They remembered what it looked like. Look at their response. We're weeping with a loud voice when the foundations of this house was laid before their eyes. And while many in loud shouts with gladness were raising their voice so that the people could not distinguish the voices of shouting of gladness and the voices of weeping of the people. For the people were shouting with a loud shout, and those voices were heard far away. Here's the point. There were some who were weeping when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid. They remembered what Solomon's temple looked like. They're looking at this foundation, and they're going, this isn't going to be anything like that. Oh, man, this is going to be terrible. This is nothing like what we had before. And they're weeping. They're weeping. At the same time, there's some who are woohooing. They're woohooing. They never saw Solomon's temple before. Oh, they're, they're just so thankful. Look, we're going to have a temple. We're going to have a temple. We're going to have a place to worship God. We've never had this before. We've been in Babylon this whole time. We never had this. And so you have these two groups going on at the same time. And Haggai is talking to the weeping ones. These, that's who he's giving these three questions to, to the weeping ones. Now, let me play this forward, because Haggai now is speaking to this group who has picked back up their tools, and they're starting to build on the temple. They're 27 days in, and he brings this back up again. And he says, and it's almost like he's reminding them, uh, remember 16 years ago when you guys were started this? Remember that? Yeah, and remember when the opposition came? And remember some of you were weeping? And some of you were woohooing. He says, okay, we've got our tools in our hands again, and we're starting to build again. We're 27 days in. And, and I want to remind you who might weep as you see what's going on. I want to ask you these questions. Who is here to see the glory? He reminds this group again. 
where you saw the glory of Solomon's temple. You saw the abundance of Solomon's temple. You saw the, you saw the, who saw this and how is it that you see it now? And that word for see means you look, you're looking at what's going down. You're inspecting it. You're perceiving it. You're considering it. And then he almost like answers their question. Is it not nothing? He's almost throwing it out them. Yeah, when you take a look at what we're doing right now and you remember what Solomon's temple was like, is it like, this is nothing? This is, not, this is nothing like it was before. Comparison as it were side by side. And what Haggai is doing is he's drawing out these weepers again. And, and weepers, and I'm one of them, okay? I'm a weeper. I remember the good old days. Okay, not the good old days here, but I remember the good old days of the church. And, and I can be a great weeper. And sometimes I tell a lot of stories. And what do I tell you? Stories about the what? The good old days. I tell so many stories. Sometimes Stephanie down front here goes like, mm, come on, cut it off. Cut it off. Here's the problem. In our day, we have weepers and we have woohooers. Any church has weepers and woohooers. And this message is for us weepers this morning because sometimes we get stuck where we were. We get stuck from where we were. And he is addressing them at this crucial moment when they've picked back up their tools 27 days into it and, and they're looking at this and he says, okay, remember what you did last time? Because last time what happened, last time is when opposition arose, they put down their tools. And they listened to what they say rather than the Lord of hosts. That's what you did last time, people. That's what you did. Are you going to do that again? Is this going to be the same repeat again? I know it's been 16 years and, and 24 plus 27 days, um, but are you going to repeat the same thing again. That's what Haggai is asking them. Are you going to repeat it? And so he's going to help them through this. Verse 4, back to our passage, it says, yet now. Yet now. If you underline, highlight, box around it, most important words in the whole passage right there. Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord of hosts. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. Be strong, all the people of the land, declares the Lord. Work for I'm with you, declares the Lord of hosts. So yet now means have a passion, have a passion to advance, have a passion to go on, to pass by. At this moment in time, weeper who remembers what it was like before, you got to push through this. You got to push through and be strong. You need to be prevail. That means prevail, courageous, grow firm even to the point of being sore, that you work, work to be sore, to fashion, to accomplish what's right in front of you, because the temptation will be to what? Put down your tools again. Because what happens in the story in Ezra is that they do have opposition again. Opposition rises again. And Haggai wants them not to put down their tools. Not to put down their tools. When I thought about that, work to soreness makes me think of a story. Um, have you ever worked to soreness? Have you ever worked to the point of soreness? I mean, what, what conjures up in my mind is when I was a teenager um, in, in Michigan, in, in an area very similar to this, I mean, what you did for the summers is you, you brought in the hay, and different farmers would call you and stuff like that. And so a farmer up the road called me and said, uh, Adam, we're going to bring in the hay Friday and Saturday if you want to come along. We're paying five bucks an hour. And I just about hit the floor. Five bucks an hour. Oh, amazing. Went down there Friday, had two crews, one in the field, one up out of the barn and everything. And Friday went fine. Saturday morning, divided up again. I was back out in the field again. And, um, and then came lunchtime. We came all in for lunch. I mean, there was so much food that came out of that kitchen. Woo! I mean, just, just course after course after course. After, and you know what that does to you after you get eat, done eating all that and go back in the field. So I'm back out in the field with my two other buddies, and, and there's some old farmers. We never drove the tractors. 
just the old farmers like John would drive the tractors kind of thing. Uh, I've seen him drive the mower. Yeah. Um, and so I'm out in the field. It's after lunch. We're, we're doing these bales. And the old farmer with the empty wagon comes out to get our full wagon to take back to the barn. And he says, he says, oh, by the way, there's a couple guys that had to leave early up at the barn. And we need some more help up at the barn. Lickety split, just like that. My two buddies jumped off the wagon, jumped on the other wagon, and headed toward the barn. And I realized then, wait a minute, I'm all alone. I'm all alone. Well, I wasn't really all alone. I mean, I had the old farmer that drove this tractor, but he didn't know the tractor had a clutch. Yeah, he never stopped. He would never stop the tractor. So all afternoon, this is what I did. I jumped off that wagon. I threw three or four bales on the wagon, jump on the wagon while it's moving, and stack the bale, and then jump off, throw three or four more bales on the I did that all afternoon. All afternoon, man. Tell you, finally in the evening, I rode that last wagon in. You know, you jump right on the top to get the breeze and widen that last wagon in. And I'm coming into the, to the farmyard. I'm coming in. I see my buddies down there by the barn just drinking pop and hanging out, you know. But I was sore. I imagine if I did that today, I'd be out for a month. Yeah, right? It was good for me to do that, though. But it's good for us at times to work the soreness. That you actually soar because of what you're doing for the Lord. That's what he's asking them to do. He's saying, at this moment in time, I want you to work to soreness. Because there's going to become an opposition that's going to come in. And you're going to be tempted to do exactly what you did last time. You're going to be tempted to put down your tools and go by what they say rather than what the Lord of hosts says. So we go to verse 5 when it says, According to the covenant that I made with you, when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Fear not. So, they are celebrating, remind you again, in 520 BC, what God had done for their forefathers about a thousand years earlier in 1444 BC. They are celebrating something that says our God provides. And so at that moment in time, Haggai says, okay, let me remind you again what your God provides for you what your God provides for you. Exodus 33, 14, it, it, it's still the same spirit today. The same spirit, Haggai is telling them, remains with you today. It stands with you today. It endures. It is set firm today in this very day, in 520 BC. Therefore, fear not. Now, we know from the scripture that fear, you can take it two different ways, and you have to look at the context of the passage so you know which fear you're talking about, because fear can be about reverence, about respect, about uh, uh, giving honor to uh, kind of thing. And in chapter 1, verse 12, you can read that passage, and you'll see that that was, one of the, that, was that kind of fear. But the fear that he's talking about here is he's saying, because my spirit is with you, don't get freaked out. <laughs> They said this, and I'm afraid. He says, fear not. Fear not. Why? Here's another set of words that you need to highlight, underline. It says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more. Yet once more. I, I think it's interesting that it has that word yet again. Because the first time you were, um, it says yet now. He's driving you through that situation where you're going to, want to continue to weep, and he reminds you, yet once more in a little while, I will shake heavens and earth and the sea and dry land. God is saying to them, God has done this before, and what will he have at his disposal? He says, I will shake, I will cause, I will spring, I will leap, heaven and earth. Who made heaven and earth? Yeah, he did. He did. Heaven and earth are at his disposal. He's not done. Verse 7, and I, will, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. He's talking about the house that has yet been to be built, 
He's saying, this is going to happen. I will shake. God will provide what is needed. And actually, if you read Ezra, you find out that he does again. They, they used up all the resources for the first temple. And God turns it around in the opposition that there's actually their opposition was now the ones that would provide the second group of provisions to build this temple. I will provide what's needed. I will fill to the full glory unto this house, honor and abundance. And, and to see this, you know, all the way to the end, if you go to Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 21 and starting in verse 22, you see the end of all time. And what does he say in there? And I saw no sanctuary in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its sanctuary. And the city has no need of sun or moon or to shine on it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the lamp is the Lamb. And the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. He goes on to say, and the gates will never be closed by day, and there will be no night there, and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. He says, I will do this. I will do this. Last verse there, and nothing defiled, no one who practices abomination or lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He gives one more here. All resources belong to God, because back at our passage, he says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. They declares the Lord of hosts the self-existing, redemptive God of the armies of heaven, says this. So all resources belong to God. So he pulls out two great resources of their day with silver and gold. Being around churches, I have heard this phrase so many times. There's a need, there's, a, there's a something that comes up, and, and, and we will say, we don't have enough, and then fill in the blank. So we don't, we don't have enough people to do that. No, we don't. Or we don't have enough money. No, we don't have enough money to do that. We don't have enough time to do that. I've heard that so many times, and I just have to stop and say, wait a minute, who are you listening to? Who do you serve? Are you going by what they say? Or are you listening to the Lord of hosts? The self-existent, redemptive God of the armies of heaven, who has everything at his disposal. That's Haggai is jumping in at this crucial moment in their life because he wants them to continue forward with this temple of God. So verse 9, the ending verse, it says, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. I said that Jesus shows up in this passage, and this is where he shows up. Haggai tells, Haggai tells the ones, the weepers, the ones who had seen Solomon's temple in all of its splendor, he tells them that something greater yet is coming. So the ladder of this house, that what comes after this house, Zerubbabel's house that is being built, there is something even greater coming than what you saw in Solomon's temple. Okay? So let's look at the temple. It started off as a tent. A tabernacle when they were in the wilderness, it was a mobile unit that they moved from place to place as they were making their way to the promised land, 1444 BC. Then Solomon builds a temple um, in 966 and it stands till 586 BC. David planned it, provided for it, Solomon built it, and then I put Nebi up there. That's my name for King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed it from the Babylon with the Babylonians. Now we're at Zerubbabel. And he builds, they erect a new temple, 516 B.C., and it stands till 169 B.C., where it isn't destroyed, but it's desecrated, where it is taken over by others. Then come in the Romans, and the Romans start to put up puppet kings, and one of their puppet kings is Herod the Great, and Herod the Great it loves HGTV. I mean, he just loved it, because he's a rehabber, and he just rehabbed everything. And so he took what was left of Zerubbabel's temple there, and he does a whole big rehab on that, almost like doubles it in size, and now it becomes called Herod's Temple. And in 70 AD, then the Romans come in and destroy it. Next slide. Prior to its destruction in 70 AD by the Romans, comes a new temple to replace it. 
There's a new temple that comes on the scene, and it's the Messiah. The Messiah has come to gather his sheep. He has come to seek and save the lost. And so then we get to go to John chapter 2, and we see Jesus at Passover coming into Jerusalem, and the temple is being used as a marketplace. The temple is being used as a place to... to um, it, it's not that they shouldn't have provided what they were providing. It's that they were doing it in such a way that it was taking advantage of others. So others were bringing their sacrifice in. And then they would say, oh, that sacrifice is not good enough. You'll have to buy one of ours. Okay? Oh, that money's not good. Well, you'll have to, yeah, you, yeah, you do have to exchange it, but here's the exchange rate. And so what was happening, they were taking advantage of people that were trying to come in to worship. And that's what disrupts Jesus so much that in chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Passover the Jews was near. Jesus went up to Jerusalem, found the temple, those selling oxen and sheep and doves and money changers seated at their tables. He made a scourge of cords. He drove them out from the temple and the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins and the money changers and overturned their tables. And those who were selling doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my house, my father's house, a place of business. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for the house of the Lord will consume me. And the Jews then said to him, what sign do you show us that you have authority for doing these things? If you stop right there, they're just basically saying, who gave you permission to do this? Who do you think you are coming in here, disrupting our whole business operation that's going on? Who gave you the authority to do this, Jesus? And so Jesus says back to them, and he's speaking spiritually. Jesus answered, destroy this sanctuary in three days, I'll raise it up. Now he's speaking spiritually because he's not talking about the brick and mortar. He's talking about what? Himself. The Jews then said it took 46 years to build this sanctuary. And will you raise it up in three days? See, they're thinking physically. They're thinking physically. Wait, it took King Herod 46 years. You're going you're gonna to raise it up in three days? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Verse 21, this is where the Bible interprets itself. But he was speaking about the sanctuary of his body. And so when he was raised from the dead, more commentary. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remember that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. If anything, they believed, they remembered, wait a minute, I'm listening to the Lord of hosts. I'm not listening to what they say. I'm listening to the Lord of hosts. The last thing about this is that I will give you peace. He will, he will give. He will put. He will set. He will bestow. He will grant. He will ascribe peace. Peace meaning a covenant with them that is complete and sound. So here we have 520 BC. Haggai comes on the scene. They've just picked up their tools to restart building the temple after he has preached for 24 days, okay? They're 27 days into the work project, and Haggai comes back in because he realizes this is a crucial time when they might put their tools back down. Actually, there's opposition coming, and what they did 16 years before was they put their tools down, and he reminds the weepers who have seen a lot. He reminds the weepers that, wait a minute, there's a glory coming after this temple that's even greater than what you have seen. Greater than what you have seen. He says, hold on to that. So let me finish it this way. Some takeaways. We have old ones and new ones in any church. We have weepers and woohooers. Okay? There are people who weep and there are people who woohoo. That's just the way it is. Okay? And as I, I self-exclose that I'm a weeper, okay? I'm, I'm a weeper at times. I, but the problem is, is we can get caught in looking back. If you're a weeper, you can get caught in looking back and you can get stuck there. You can get stuck there. We need a yet now moment to advance on. If you're a weeper, you need a yet now moment to advance on, to push through that. So for me, now I'm always gaining new experiences. For me here, two Jeremy's. There's a Jeremy that walked through the doors of our church that needed a church family at a very crucial time in his life. 
and, and, and he gave profession of faith and he got baptized. And he's now a part of the, of the security team. And he has a band of brothers that are around him, helping him and walking with him through this time that he is in right now. Whoa. Then we have another Jeremy. Another Jeremy who said, I'll step into the, the youth ministry and I'll help not only the youth, but I'll help the team and I'll bring that whole team together and everything. And you see this young man saying yes to Jesus to say, I, you know, I don't feel like a number one leader but I'm going to step into the fray and I'm going to help out however I can. See, that that's, that's a yet now moment to realize that, wait a minute, God is still in our midst and God is still working. The new, and the new ones need to see us old ones advancing. The new ones that come into the church need to see us old ones advancing. Now, our roles will change. My role has changed dramatically over time. But they always need to see us advancing, always advancing. Um, we need to work to soreness. We need to throw some more bales. Why? Because we have seen God work. If you're a weeper and you've been around for a while, you have seen God work. You have seen him work in mighty ways. And so you tell the stories. But always make sure to tell the stories in a way that we propel forward, okay? Always to propel forward. I mean, one of the greatest I wills. Jesus said, I will build my what? Church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Will not prevail against it. We have not only seen God work, but we've experienced His Spirit's presence. If you're a weeper and you've been around a lot, you have seen You've experienced the Spirit's presence happen within a body of believers. And you've probably got some stories here. I got plenty of stories. I'll tell you one more. The story is, is that I was a teenager and I was at a revival meeting, um, revival meetings at County Line Wesleyan Church. And like, I remember all this. County Line Wesleyan Church, people there, um, there were some people there at that service that realized, wait a minute, he surrendered his whole life for me. And I see that. And now I'm surrendering my life to him. Okay? So in those services, lots of times the people would come forward, kneel and pray. And, and, and then lots of times we would stay and pray uh, with them. And then after that, then they would get up and they would give a testimony. They would give, they would give praise to God. They would proclaim him as their savior. And um, the Ryan's uh, teenage daughter, Mary, said, can I sing a song? And the pastor said, well, yeah, yeah, you can sing a song. So she got up. And I mean, she's really emotional, tears straying down her face. I mean, she's slobbering and everything else. I mean, she's just overcoming. So she starts to sing Amazing Grace. Starts to sing Amazing Grace. And I like the, and everybody's feeling sorry for her and everything else because the very first verse, I mean, you couldn't even make out what the words were. I mean, you're just like, oh, you know, and thinking that she would just end at verse one. No, she went to verse two. And when she went to verse two, you could make out some more of the words. When she went to verse 3, you made out even more of the words. By the time she hurt, hit verse 5, you thought an angel had come down from heaven. It was just like, whoa, God's presence. I sense his presence here. And see, weepers, if we've, you've been around a while, you've not only seen God work, you've experienced his presence. But we need to acknowledge that as great as it was in the past, there's another time coming greater than what we have seen. There's another time coming greater than what we have seen. And that's how we move forward, church. We stop looking back to stuckness. There's a reason to look back. There is. But not to stuckness. Okay, We look at God, what God is doing now. And we proclaim even something greater is coming. So if you're a weeper this morning, along with me, at times what you need to continue to pray is for a yet now moment. A yet now moment that you see God's working right now. And to remember that, wait a minute, my role is to say there's yet more to come. Because my God said he will provide everything all the way to the end. All the way to the end. Worship team can come on up.
Uh, I think it's Amazing Grace that we're singing, isn't it? Yeah. See, I didn't, I didn't plan that. Okay. Um, but I would like to offer the opportunity to you that if you're, if you're a weeper like me, and maybe you have found yourself stuck. And maybe this is the song that you, um, you have a little conversation with God. The one, you start listening to him again. The Lord of hosts. Say, Lord, I want to be unstuck. And I want to see how you're working in the church today. And I want to be a part of it moving forward. That's me. And I'm going to leave that up to you as we stand and we sing this beautiful song. But uh, you can move throughout this sanctuary. And you can move to a place where you can get alone with God and just pray and say and confess to him, Lord, I've been stuck. And I need to keep coming because I know there's opposition coming. I know there's opposition. There's always opposition that comes. And I, I don't want to do what I've done before and put my tools down. It's amazing when the opposition comes again. And when it comes, it says in Ezra that the eyes of the Lord were on the elders of the church, uh, elders of the people. And even though they sent word back to the authorities, they didn't stop working. They never stopped working. Not this time. So would you stand with me and let me have a word of prayer and then we'll close with this song. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for this, uh, this, this event in the Old Testament in Haggai, how important it is for us to hear it on this day. Um, we realize over and over again, not only of its relevance, but also, Lord, of, um, of the Messiah, you, Jesus, being proclaimed back in Haggai's day in 520 B.C., a proclamation that there was one that was coming greater than this temple that was being built. And that we are still proclaimers of that. He, we proclaim that you have come, but that you are also coming again. So Lord, I pray that along with other weepers in the room, because there's always weepers, <laughs> I pray that you would help us get unstuck so that we would be woo-hooers for you, Lord. That we would raise up our voices and proclaim the one who is coming. I pray as we sing through the song Amazing Grace that has touched so many lives. Lord, may this be a song maybe that we, we take some time ourselves and, and confess that we've put down your tools. And we need to pick them up again. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this beautiful song.